Welcome to The Bethany Shipley Show. In some ways, I feel like I am learning how to ride a bike right now. I'm kind of nervous and wobbly and like trying to figure out my sound settings and my microphone because this is something that I have never done before. And the very first episode is called My Obituary, even though I'm not dead. And I wanted to share because this podcast is launching on my 27th birthday. Woo-hoo! I wanted to share with you um, the first 27 years of my life posted on Instagram the other day that um, I grew up in a 40-foot Eagle bus and I was giving some tips on um, quarantine and how to stay sane in the quarantine and I got so many questions and I thought, oh my gosh, like that is a huge part of my life. That has truly made me who I am today and people don't know that. Like people don't know the story. So we're going to dive right in from the day I was born to today, starting now. I was born at something like 7, I don't know, maybe like 7.19 p.m. maybe? Um, I've asked before, but I can never remember. Um, And I was born to Dave and Sonia Thompson of Pensacola, Florida. I was born in Pensacola. They had already uh, had one awesome son, my brother Jordan, who was 17 months old at the time. My dad worked for a a Christian college called Pensacola Christian College. And it was actually during the college days, which for his job, uh, his job was in the like recruiting students and bringing them in and showing them the, the college campus from what I understand. So this was literally the most intense week of his entire year. And um, in my Bethany fashion, I of course had to make a dramatic entrance. So I guess I was born right in the middle of that week. My dad had to come from college days, like completely delegate everything he was doing to be with my mom at the hospital. Uh, My childhood, of course, I don't remember my babyhood that much, um, but (laughs) about two years after I was born, my mom and dad had a second, um, or I'm sorry, a third child, Jacob. And so we have Jordan, Bethany, Jacob, all within like three and a half years crammed together. Two years after that, they had another son, Joshua. And then another two years or one and a half years after that, they had my baby sister, Brooke. And so during this time, we lived in Pensacola, Florida, where my dad worked full-time as the everything man at the at the college my mom worked part-time in the nursery and uh, or in the school or something we were in um like daycare for those first few years and then when I was five years old uh right before my mom had my my baby sister Brooke she actually went into labor with Brooke around 20 weeks and so her the last 20 weeks or I guess uh, 17 weeks of her pregnancy with my my baby sister, which I was four and a half or five at that time, uh, was extremely intense. She was on complete bed rest. She was um, literally not able to get out of the bed unless it was to go like to the bathroom. And she had needles and patches and machines sending faxes to the doctors. And it was really a hard time for my family because at that time, and I know my dad wouldn't mind if I share this. I've, I've watched him share it from stages uh, across the United States. And so he's totally open with this. But during that time, my dad actually 
was experiencing a uh, anxiety on a level that he had never been aware of before. You know, now we talk about anxiety and it's so common. We, we understand panic attacks. We understand anxiety. We understand depression. And we have, I feel like, such a open mind toward mental health. Um, but during that time, it was not talked about. And so as a five-year-old child, I remember actually watching, I, I woke up in the middle of the night one time and my there was weird lights outside my bedroom window. This was right, either right before or right after my, my little sister was born and weird lights. And I went and peeked out of my window and I saw an ambulance and I was like, Oh my gosh, like I I didn't know what was going on. So I ran to check on my mom and dad or, or actually not check on them at the time I was trying to get safe and go to their room and hide like every little kid does. So I went into their room and they weren't there. So I went out in the living room and my uncle who actually lived across the street was there in our living room. And so I didn't know and I was confused and I went back to bed really, really scared. And um, later on in life, I learned that my dad had an anxiety attack, a panic attack that was so severe that he thought he was having a heart attack. For those of you who have had an anxiety or panic attack, you understand how this feels and manifests on a physical level. It's not something that's just like in your head. It's a, a actual physical reaction. So my dad was like the dude who had it all together, did everything, working insane hours, tons of kids at this point, five kids. And um, he just had like a total like emotional and mental breakdown. So uh, understanding that it was chemical. My parents were ahead of their time. They understood it was chemical. They got hooked up with some supplements and decided to change their lifestyle. But that meant actually moving away from the lifestyle of work and my dad was a workaholic and and I actually see that as a really positive thing he he is and still is a workaholic he's extremely driven we're, we're gonna get to that later but he needed a break and he needed separation so it was um right after my sister uh, right after my sister was born, I was five and a half years old, six years old. We started um, going to about an hour away from Pensacola, an hour, I believe it's east, um, to a little town called Niceville, which is where my um, my mom's uh, parents live and lived. And my grandfather was a pastor of a church there in Niceville. And we started going um, to church there with them. And slowly through the next few months, um, it became kind of a place of refuge for my dad. My mom was able to have help with the kids and it was just like a good fit for that time. So we ended up moving as a family from Pensacola to Niceville. My dad started working at that church. It was a much smaller church. The church that I uh, was at Pensacola Christian College was around 5,000 people and the church in Niceville was you know 250 300 at the time so it was a much smaller church my dad was like in the role of youth pastor and um 
and music minister and just yeah it was really great so we were there in Niceville for five years and it's kind of a joke like Niceville really like yeah that's exactly the name of it like it's actually Niceville we lived in a little in a little um, neighborhood that was the most American like perfect little hometown neighborhood we had you know it's just so many cute little experiences there we we ended up getting two dogs named popcorn and pepsi and had a garden in like the best backyard and some of my most favorite childhood memories are in that house there was a a bay that was about gosh maybe not even a mile away and so it wasn't quite like ocean but it was you know a softer water with a beautiful park um and we would go there during the fourth of july and just sit in the water and play while we watched the fireworks i'm telling you there was something special about that time and i'm sure it had to do with the fact that my my family was all super close together. So my mom has two sisters. They both had kids similar to our ages and we were just all right there, like all together, all the time, birthdays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, all together. My dad's family is also incredible, but we saw them less often because everyone was kind of spread out. Um, throughout the United States. So we would see them at like a major holiday or a family reunion or something. But those were good days. Those were really fun. My, my grandfather would take us to his land, which was about 30 miles away. And we would romp around in the woods, catch snakes with like, I'm talking, we are, we are children at this point and we have full on machete knives, like, and we're knocking down trees. <laughs> I look back at family videos and I'm like, mom, why did you let us do that? Like, why did you let us have these knives? And she said, honestly, honey, I didn't think a thing of it. So whatever. We made it. We made it out. Um, We would build forts in the woods. And my grandfather was and still is just an extremely, um, you know, extremely knowledgeable in the way of like knowing how to build a garden and build trails and just it's it's something that I admire about him his yard is like full of vegetables and they have this lemon tree that's massive I remember when I was a kid we would go out and pick lemons off their lemon tree and my my Mimi would let us cut the lemons in half and push the lemons down into this little lemonade maker. It was like this, the shape of the lemon, you know, and you push your lemon into it and then the bowl underneath catches all the lemon juice. She would make us fresh lemonade. They had this tree called a kumquat tree and you can, it's like a hybrid between a orange and a like, I don't know, maybe like a, a, an orange and a pineapple, but it's really little. So it's sweeter than an orange or tart, more tart. But we would pick those off and eat them all day. Oh, they were so good. And play in the playhouse. Um, a lot of, a lot of outside time. Florida is hot. And so we always had a pool around. I remember one time my parents set up this massive pool that was, uh, you know, I don't know. For us kids, it was massive in our backyard. (laughs) We made whirlpools in that pool all 
the time. And I mean, you have like nine months of summer there. And so we would make this these whirlpools. And one time we used the same pool over and over and over like year after year because, you know, you can reset it up. Well, it got really hot. The pool got really hot. And we were making a whirlpool. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the most rapid whirlpool, I thought a bomb hit our backyard because everything, like I was floating across the backyard. The pool was no longer. What happened was it had exploded. The pool exploded. And so all of us kids on the outside of this pool are like floating opposite ways, all just like wide-eyed, like what is happening? (laughs) Oh, so fun. My little sister, um, her name is Brooke. I love her so much. She was tiny and we would like put her in the stroller. I do not think this is safe at all, but we did it. We put her in the stroller and then like ride her around in the pool just where her head was like barely above water. I feel like I'm ratting my parents out, but it's okay. But it's okay. We survived. So While we lived in that house, I had a little cat named Princess, and she lived under my bed. She was extremely antisocial. We had popcorn and Pepsi. There were five kids. We had two birds. We had like a turtle at one point. So we were a full house of people. And one day my dad and my mom, or actually it was just my mom, came to my room and sat on my floor, and she said, hey, I have something to talk to you about that's kind of, you know, a big deal. And I'm like, what? And she said, well, you know how we've been – singing as a family um at the nursing home on Wednesdays it was just something we did we would sing at the nursing home and like brighten their day we would then go get pizza um and (laughs) from the like most delicious in my mind it's probably gross pizza but in my mind it's like the most delicious pizza ever from this little pizza shop um every Wednesday and then go to church she said well you know how we've been singing at the at the nursing home and I'm like yeah she said well um your dad and I have decided that we feel called to do this for like our entire life. Like, like, um, we're going to move into a, uh, some sort of vehicle that can hold us all where we can live. We're going to sell our house. We're going to sell like everything and we're going to go on the road. And the word that they used was, um, we're going to be evangelists. And I was like, oh, and at first I was super excited because that meant like, I'm going to get activity, like I'm going to get a new something, like new life. And then I thought about my cat and I was like, well, but can I keep princess? And my mom said, no, we're going to, that's the thing. We're going to have to get rid of your cat. We're going to have to get rid of the dogs. We're going to have to get rid of your house. And I realized like, oh, and we're not going to be here. And I was a social butterfly, you guys, like um, a total social butterfly. And I wanted so badly for my established my established social life to continue and I realized that um like all of that was gonna change so I cried some tears and this is where my like most likely I'm in an an Enneagram 3 side of uh, wing 4 this is where I'm most likely a 4 I literally wrote a poem I'm like nine years old at this point I wrote a poem about um my cat and how like my cat is the best cat and I'm gonna miss this cat and (laughs) like my cat never left the underneath side of my bed my cat scratched every single person it ever touched my cat was not a good cat (laughs) 
<laughs> but I was super, super dramatic about it. And to this day, I'm like, oh man, I wish I could go back and give my little nine-year-old self a hug and say like, there's more to life than your cat. And of course, those feelings are valid, but also I was being kind of dramatic. Um, and I wish I could say to myself, like, there's more people in the world than the people you know right now. There are more friends to be made than the ones you have right now. Um, it's going to be okay. But I, in that moment, I was pretty upset about it and oh, had to say goodbye to my cat. Gave my cat to a great friend, Pat, Pat Fiddler. Thank you for taking my cat and taking good care of my cat till we don't know what happened to it. <laughs> I think it did pass away. Um, we got rid of our dogs, we sold our house, and everything literally started on the track of, all right, let's do this thing. We bought a 40-foot Eagle bus, enter the bus story, um, from South Florida about a week into our travels. It was our first tour, and we I think our tour was going to be like nine months long, which is kind of insane when you think about it. Like, my poor mother, can we just take a second and like say my poor mother, because she had to pack for nine months with five kids, um, having the pressure of like wanting us all to match while we're on stage and also not having laundry facilities, one teeny tiny little shower, zero um, cooking eyes. So we had like a electric, an electric skillet instead of cooking eye, like so many little things that I never even compre- comprehended that she was experiencing as a mom feeling the need to take care of her family. My dad, the stress of like, where is money going to come from? Um, now, I'll couple this, can we take a second to think of them and also say like it was their decision and they decided to do this crazy life. So I guess it evens out. We could have stopped at any time, but our first tour stop was in South Florida. We had a great time. It was a beautiful Orange County, Florida. Um, we happened to know friends there we had a great time spent time in the pool um, and I thought gosh you know I could probably get used to this and I did get used to it so those bus days were intense um the bus let me let me think of some fun things to tell you about the bus the bus would get really really hot when we were driving so we did a lot of touring in South Florida through up the east coast and a lot of like South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, um, Mississippi, like a lot of that. And during the nine months of summer in those states, um, it gets really hot, especially on the highway because it's got like a black top. And so here we are, this massive bus that it already takes significant energy to um, like drive, you know, Uh, here we are like five kids homeschooling let me add with these little abeka dvds on little screens we're all like trying to hear we can't even hear because the bus is so loud we have our little headphones barely hearing our teachers and doing we we didn't even know what we're doing um and it would just get so hot we would get so irritated at each other and oh my goodness man the fights broke out we were we would bicker and fight like you would not believe So it makes sense now why my mom's like, everybody out, get out, get out, go to the bus stop and get out. And like we would go to these huge gas stations called Flying J's. And that was where we got a millisecond of Internet. Um, At the time, I became addicted and I'm not even being dramatic, addicted to communicating with my 
friends, aka in my mind, my lifeline during those uh, bus stop times where we had internet and I would get on um, IM. Does any, do you remember IM? I would get on IM and like message people or I would get on my email and email people. Um, I had a relationship that at the time, it's kind of funny because I was so young, but I literally emailed the same person for like four years. Um, So I would email him and um, yeah, it was just, it was just interesting. This whole thing was interesting. Um, IM was my favorite thing to do, like talk to people. It's so funny. It's like almost like I was born to talk to people. (laughs) How ironic that I'm sitting here in a quarantine talking to a microphone. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so these bus stop times were fun. Um, Times with my siblings were so much fun. We could talk to each other. My siblings and I could talk to each other through our air vents in our, our bunk beds. We each had a bunk bed. And I developed a significant... Um, desire to have the same tasting water. I hated that the bus water would taste different city to city and I can just, I can taste the difference in water so easily because I don't know, maybe I have a sensitive palate or something. So my dad would buy these massive cases of water bottles and I would steal them and I'm talking steal them and I would put them all under my mattress to where there was no like sign of where, you know, it was very even. I was sleeping on, a ma- I was doing a waterbed when waterbeds were cool without a waterbed. <laughs> so I had these water bottles all underneath my mattress. And if we didn't have water bottles, this is so sad to say, but if we didn't have water bottles, I literally would not drink water. I would go like a day without drinking water because I did not want to taste a different taste. The bathroom, going to the bathroom in a bus is disgusting because when you flush, all of the fumes come up and you can just, ugh, it's horrible. The first time, the first time my dad learned how to empty the tank, the black water tank, which the black water tank is where all the poop is. We were at a Flying J. These Flying J, um, gas stations and like bus stops are literally designed for truckers so they have black water tank like area where you put the water in and my dad didn't know how to do it and he accidentally put black water all over the ground and we have never laughed so hard I don't know if you've seen the movie RV but in that movie they have a similar experience where there's like poop water being sprayed everywhere and I'm sorry I'm basically a five-year-old boy when it comes to bathroom humor but that is just one of the funniest stories maybe sometime I can get my dad on here and talk about it because that would be so funny we traveled for five years saw some amazing things met some amazing people and at toward the end of those five years my parents were feeling a shift we I was 14 and a half 15 years old my brother Jordan was 16 and a half 17 years old and he and I specifically were really craving some structure and like some independence I mean you have to understand we were on we were completely on my parents schedule and their schedule was completely made up by um, pastors booking us and because it was successful we were gone all the time and we had no like we we had no structure um for our own life or no we could not be involved in anything that we wanted to be involved and we had a lot of i remember gosh when all of it broke loose we were in virginia west virginia my dad is when he's listening to this he's going to be nodding his head he sees you remember the night we had um a big 
a big breakdown all it was the four of us my mom my older brother me and my dad and we my brother and I were just saying like we want friends we want a life outside of this bus we need it we're craving it and you know they could have they could have been like you're fine but they were so gracious and they they said all right we're gonna start thinking about it during that time my mom also was feeling kind of started feeling sick um so that was happening there were times where we would have um like a show or whatever whatever we're gonna call it a service and my mom was unable to come because she just didn't feel good and we kind of just okay that's how mom is but it started happening more often and so my parents got hooked up with a um, church that was starting in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. And we moved to Kansas City to test it out for one month to see if it was going to be a good fit. And sure enough, it was a great fit. Um, we were so excited. Oh my goodness, the kids were ecstatic. I can never explain to you how fun it was to move to Kansas City knowing we're about to have a normal life. I still remember pulling in because we moved here in the bus and um, here I still live in Kansas City, but we moved here in the bus and when we pulled into Kansas City, I remember seeing the skyline and just feeling like crying because I was like, this is my new home. And yes, I'm probably an Enneagram three wing four because who cries looking at a skyline Um, other than like a pregnant person, (laughs) me, a four or a three wing four. So I don't know though, because I also feel like a two, we'll talk about Enneagram another day. But um, so yeah, so we moved to Kansas City, we got involved with Kansas City East Lions, which was a homeschool sports organization, Um, we're involved with the church, and through Kansas City East, I met this boy named Eli Shipley, and I I was watching Jordan, my brother, my, my older brother's name is Jordan, I was watching Jordan uh, play basketball. And there was this one guy on his team that stuck out to me in a good way. And it was, it was that he didn't just work hard on offense, but like he also worked really hard on defense. And for that age of a boy, I feel like it says something because everyone wants to be the, the person that makes the winning shot. Everybody wants to be the person that like scores the, you know, makes it all look awesome, but nobody or less people, I should say, want to be the one that hustles back on defense and works hard when it's not flashy. And I noticed that this boy, Eli, would hustle back every time. And so I was like, he's kind of cute and started giving him, him and everyone else high fives. You know, I don't want to be too obvious. And I remember one day I was, I was playing basketball and he walked in their their game was directly after ours in the same gym and I was dribbling down the court and I saw him walk in out of the corner of my eye and you guys I'm a total show off like I cannot help it I try I was like we're gonna do this thing so I actually like went in for the you know through the got the foul made the point made the free throw now does Eli remember these things he says he doesn't but I'm sure that I impressed him that day <laughs> actually what happened and how we actually started talking was that my brother Jordan um, hurt his uh, ankle and I had his phone. Eli texted him to check and see how he's feeling and I texted back that this was his sister Beth. So we started talking. We started. He came over for Sunday lunch one time. I invited him over because I wanted to hang out with him. We just kind of became these like instant best friends. Like I can't explain it but 
everything about our personalities, it was like we were born to just be together. We neutralized each other. It was not stressful. It was not uncomfortable. I just really liked him. So (laughs) we started hanging out more. Literally, it, it was that simple. I was 15 and the first time he invited me over to his house to play rock band. So my dad um, rode with me because I had my my permit. So I, I was driving up his driveway. If you've ever been on his driveway, his family's driveway is insane. So I was like bouncing, like, like bouncing up the driveway basically because I didn't know how to drive very well and it was really bumpy. And I kept thinking like, this person is going to, he's going to murder me. Like this is not a normal, I'm so glad my dad's with me. This is not normal. And I called and I'm like, I don't think I'm at the right place. Like I'm really, it's really bumpy. He's like, no, it's the right place. Keep coming. So about a mile up this terrain, this rustic terrain, (laughs) we get to this beautiful log cabin. I go in, meet his sister, who's just like this incredible, um, she just graduated college. She was like cleaning out their pantry, looked so together, beautiful like outfit and just like the most fun personality. And I'm like, she's awesome. And she was the only one home at that time. So I met her and then I went upstairs and played rock band. And that was like our first our first interaction where we were actually by ourselves he drove me um back to meet my family that night and it honestly just like the next few months uh, I spent getting to know him and spent just understanding that he was the one that I would see this makes me emotional like he was the one that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with and I knew people who would say things like you know, young and in love and, or like dumb and young or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, but I know this is different. Like I always knew in my gut that he was for, we were made to be together. And so I told my mom that I really felt like he was the one for me um, when I was 16. And she said, yeah, I totally agree, honey. I really feel that too. And that was kind of like it. Like I just knew we got engaged um, that, well, I don't want to jump too far there this isn't just about our love story when I was 18 actually I was 17 so I was about to graduate um I was entering into my senior year my mom was uh really sick at this point she had Lyme disease she was bedridden she was barely making it like and I'm talking like drinking ensure the drink like the protein drink to stay alive and to stay above you know 95 pounds um it was a it was a hard time there were some changes happening in the church that we were with there was some shifts with the job situation and my mom was really sick my brother was um my brothers were all kind of getting involved in their own things and it was just kind of a chaotic time for our family and I was really wrapped up in my relationship with Eli I mean we were hanging out all the time so I didn't really have like there was no like I don't know. It's it's interesting to look back on this time, but my parents ended up in a split second notice in a 10-day time frame deciding that they were going to move to Colorado to be closer to my my mom's sister and to get away from some of the chaos that was happening. And I was entering into my second semester of my senior year. My basketball team was going to nationals. We were doing great. I had a job. Um, I was viciously in love with Eli. And I, I was like, okay. So I told Eli, hey, my parents are moving. And I 
I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to go with them, obviously, but I can't support myself and we're not ready to get married financially or otherwise we're in high school. Um, I don't know what to do. And so later that night, Eli called me and he's like, Hey, um, you know, Dave and Sandy, which were some friends from church, from his family's church, who I had gone on youth trips with. Sandy was heavily involved in the youth ministry at Eli's church. And, um, I'm like, yeah. And he said, well, they, they have a basement that's set up as an apartment and they want you to live with them for the rest of your, of your high school. And I was like, what? I don't even have a car. Like I had just spent all of my money on this camera because I had a, um, I had a photography class with my high school that was, um, actually the most crazy situation. It, the photos that I got were really good and um, I posted them on Facebook and people started asking me to take their family photos. So I was charging like $25, which is great money for someone who's 17 for an hour, you know, 30 minute session and I edit for 30 minutes and I would get 25 bucks. I'm like, that's great money, right? $25 an hour. Um, and so I just bought this camera and, and so I, I didn't like have any money uh, to buy a car. So I just had a lot of questions. So three days later, my parents and I met up with Dave and Sandy at IHOP on a Sunday morning and Dave and Sandy with the most generous and welcoming arms said, yeah, she can live with us and she can drive our car until she gets something. Their generosity to me um, goes down in my life book as some of the most extraordinary uh extraordinary extraordinary generosity that I can even think of like there are truly no words they not only did they let me have a place to live and let me have a car to drive they also created a stability for me that in that time I really 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 wanted and needed and I I just feel so blessed because I know not everybody has that when they need it um and I made a decision then like when there is someone who needs something like I needed it in that time, I'm going to show up like Dave and Sandy. And they fed me. They would have food ready for me. I remember the first night I came home from basketball and it was the first night of me staying there. I was so emotional because my parents had just pulled out. I missed them so much. I missed my younger three siblings so much. And I didn't have any food and I didn't have any money. And, um, I stopped by Price Chopper, which is our grocery store, and I got a dollar nineteen bag, a dollar nineteen uh, bag of popcorn, and um, like a dollar oil. That's because I had like four dollars in my account. I got four dollars worth of food that actually doesn't provide any sort of nutrition, but I was like, I have to eat something. I'm really hungry, and I went home to their house in intending to make myself popcorn. And when I showed up, Sandy had fajitas and and like tortillas and everything you could imagine waiting for me in the microwave and she welcomed me into her living room she's like hey we're watching biggest loser we're watching american idol come hang out with us and like not only did they give me that shelter and that place to live but they also provided friendship and eli and i and dave and sandy have so many good memories of just hanging out and like watching biggest loser and um yeah just have to shout out to them because that was amazing So I finished my senior year, did the nationals thing, hung out a ton with Eli and his family. They lived about two miles away from Dave and Sandy. 
um, bought my first car, which was a Geo Tracker, a black Geo Tracker. That was, um, it was a stick shift, which is actually really funny because the day that I got it, I did not know how to drive a stick shift. And I'm like, I don't know how to do this. So Eli drove it home for me and then he was going to teach me the next day. Conveniently, the next day he got the stomach flu and was like violently ill. So I literally took an hour to get to the insurance office and then like two more hours to get to my basketball game with my... I didn't know how to drive this thing, so I was just shutting off every time I would try to push the gas. <laughs> and this was, I did not have a smartphone at this time. I didn't have like an iPhone, so you can't just like go on YouTube and watch like how to drive a stick shift. It's just so funny things. So we ended up, Dave, uh, Dave took me out and we, and he taught me how to drive it. And it was so fun. I realized that I like burned through my entire, like, I don't know, brake pad because I was um like pushing I ended up driving the whole way with my emergency brake on (laughs) so I had to get a new one of those but it was a good time so after that I I didn't know really what I wanted to do I had worked at a tanning salon uh, Chipotle I worked at Outback Steakhouse and then I heard about this college in Kansas called Barkley and it was a college that was free tuition apparently Uh, if you qualify and they had a volleyball program and I was like okay let's do this so Eli and I drove out my mom my mom actually heard about this college on the radio Eli and I drove out is about five hours away did a a volleyball um a volleyball what like tryout um which was perfect ended up you know getting on the team shocker a a student um count of like 700 and I made it on the volleyball team (laughs) I don't know that anyone didn't make it on the volleyball team so there's that but um ended up moving to Kansas and that day was really hard because the reason I even went there was because I Eli and I had made some goals for ourselves as far as what we were going to be waiting for marriage for and we were getting to the point in our relationship where our commitment level was extremely high to each other um but our like it just felt really hard to be in the same city and not have the the freedoms that we wanted um together and we wanted to save some of those things for our marriage and so I decided to move away for that purpose and that was really hard to do because I loved him so much and I hated the idea of going long distance but I went for that semester had a great time met some of the most incredible people had just a beautiful college experience in that one semester and although it was a free tuition it was um, you know I did pay for room and board and food and that was a, a lot of money for me at the time I didn't have a lot of money so ended up deciding to not go go back to college for the second semester because I did not want to go into debt with no idea what I wanted to do in my future other than knowing that I wanted to marry Eli Shipley and so I ended up moving to Colorado to be with my family I got a job at Herbie's Auto Sales where I met some amazing people and worked there for nine months um, three months into working there living on my parents couch out of a Rubbermaid they had a really tiny home and I not actually a tiny home but it was like a you know a fifth wheel or whatever not a fifth wheel what am I trying to say a modular home 
uh, they didn't have a room for me, so I just stayed on the couch. And it was just an awkward phase for me of not really knowing here I am in adult life, but not living on my own, uh, saving money for this wedding I was hoping would happen. Three months into living there, four months into living there, Eli put a ring on it and (laughs) we planned our engagement and got married five months later. Our engagement was so much fun. We, I counted down the days literally every day. I would update my calendar, 99 days, you know, or whatever, 80 days, 70 days. And it was so, so, so fun to be engaged to him. I was so excited. He rode his bicycle from Kansas City, Missouri all the way to Colorado, Greeley, Colorado, um, right before we got, uh, you know, permanently moved to Kansas City, you know, and that was just a sweet gesture of him saying, like, he's gonna come get me, you know, (laughs) save me from the, from the modular home couch. We packed up all my stuff, and, um, I remember that drive was so special from Colorado to Kansas City because I was starting a new chapter with this boy slash man that I love so much. And yeah, we got married. Our wedding was awesome. Our wedding was huge. We had like 400 people. Um, We got married in a grove in the woods that Eli actually um, like, cut all the brush out of it was on his parents land at first I was really hesitant to like get married on family land because I didn't ever want like I wanted it to be special like our spot but um I got over that pretty quickly when I realized how much venues cost (laughs) cost and so he um basically curated this spot in the woods that was and is still just so beautiful um left only the big trees and made benches and watered this grass and seeded it and like spent months preparing this site and then we had a reception in in two massive tents that were up in a clearing we had music and dancing and a baked potato bar because we had i'm holding up the number zero this much money We were very, very tight at that point. Eli had gone to school during my college time for to be a personal trainer. So he had gone to this like, uh, you know, accelerated personal training program called NASM. And if you're familiar, it was he went to Wellspring, uh, Wellspring, I don't know, Allied Health or something and got this certification, started working in a private gym, started building up his clientele. We moved into when we got married this teeny tiny teeny tiny teeny tiny little house this little apartment that was built in the 1800s and oh my goodness this little house had baseboards that smelled like it they were rotten (laughs) and the kitchen was extremely tiny like I'm I'm being silly but it was also it was one bedroom one bathroom and oh my goodness what a time we had One little fun fact is we went to the Virginia Beach on our honeymoon and um, (laughs) we had like no money, but also I didn't know I was allergic to mangoes. So here we are like saving like ourselves for marriage and, (laughs) and I break out in this 
face rash because I had to eat both mangoes in the fruit basket and um, our entire honeymoon, my lips were blistered and bleeding. <laughs> Eli, actually, we didn't, and we were too young to rent a car. We were 19 and 20. So instead of like renting a car to, and there was no Uber back then, um, at least that we knew about. And so <laughs> Eli rode the tandem bicycle that we rented all the way to like the, the drugstore for me so he could get Benadryl and honey because we read online that that could help. And I'm just cracking up remembering me trying to eat sushi like in my pajamas sitting on my like honeymoon couch watching Eli do a workout that I was so mad that he was doing a workout on our honeymoon. Oh, <laughs> if I only knew that would be our whole life. <laughs> I thought that working out was only for regular days, not special days. So we moved back into our tiny little apartment and just had some of the most fun times together. I was learning what I wanted to be as a wife. I had some pretty high expectations for myself as far as like what that would look like. And I had nothing at this point other than my photography business. So you remember that little camera that I bought? Well, I was still using it and taking photos for families. And it was, you know, a great little income, but it was not something that I was pouring my heart and soul into. It was not something that I even really knew what I was doing. I was just, yeah, I'll take them as they come. You know, people contact me asking me want to, you know, if, if I will take their photos and I'd be happy, happy to do that. So Eli was working, however, like 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. every night um, at the gym. His clientele started filling up and I, I kind of lost myself. And I remember feeling a little jealous of him. Like he has this thing that he's so good at, that people admire, that he was born for it. And I didn't have that. And it was, um, it was hard. So I ended up um, helping him out at the gym some with marketing and filling the gym and getting people in there and just, you know, kind of doing my own thing. I would take, um, I would take like these pictures for him and then use them for Facebook advertising. And then I would also go to the thrift store and buy books and sell them online for more. Or during this time too, I'd kind of gotten into like car purchasing like I would buy a car and then sell it um that was kind of into my Colorado time as well buy a car sell it buy a scooter sell it like a little motorized scooter you know just fun fun little exchanges like that where I could feel industrious but I wasn't actually committing to a nine to five and about four five months into our marriage we found out by a shock that I was pregnant and I remember taking that pregnancy test in our little stinky, tiny, weird little bathroom. And uh, it's saying pregnant and it was like 1 p.m. And I'm like, I do not know how I'm going to wait till 7 p.m. to tell Eli. And I'm not going to go up to the gym and tell him in front of people. So I walked to the thrift store and I bought the book called What to Expect When You're Expecting. And on the inside of the book, it said to Beth. It was like a, a secondhand book, obviously. So I was cracking up at that. But uh, yeah, so I told him that I was pregnant. He was shocked. I was shocked. We were crying. It was crazy. So three months into that pregnancy, after all the vomiting, after all the blood draws, uh, after all of the routine, you know, tell your family, get excited. We went in for an, uh, yeah, our appointment and they pulled out this instrument called a Doppler where you listen to the heartbeat. 
And to our surprise and shock, they couldn't find a heartbeat. So I, I'd heard this can happen before. I wasn't worried about it. Eli had clients the rest of the evening. So I told him, hey, just go back to the gym. I'll get the ultrasound, make sure everything's fine. And I'm really glad that he followed his own intuition and not my persuasion because when we went into the ultrasound later that evening, uh, we were shocked and devastated to find out that we actually did not, um, the baby did not have a heartbeat. And I'll never forget just the absolute disappointment that I felt and the shock. And I thought I was healthy and I did not want to tell our family. Like I knew I had to tell them, but I did not want to tell them. I couldn't voice it. I couldn't say it. So I just texted it to both our families and, um, of course, they were heartbroken for us, and um, Eli and I went on a drive that night, just driving through the woods, or driving through, like, these old country roads, and I was bawling, and he was upset, you know, and he was more probably just concerned for me. We had questions about how this would happen, you know, I hadn't even miscarried yet, and I was just man, that was a hard time. And that I think was especially hard because I didn't have personal purpose um, outside. I had kind of been like, okay, I'm pregnant. Like now everything about my life is I'm pregnant and I have this role now. You know, I was jealous of Eli (laughs) having this beautiful purpose in his life of helping people and fitness and all this. And I was stuck like at home making like lasagna because I put that expectation on myself if that's what a good wife does and um then to not have the mom thing was really really hard and so I spent the next few weeks just mourning that I learned about essential oils during that time which has been a huge part of my life um which we'll get into that too but Learned about essential oils, you know, got got into them a little bit. I was coaching volleyball and um, yeah, just mourning that. And and so a few months later, um, after I had experienced the the horrible, you know, DNC ended up having a surgical removal um, because my body was not taking the hints uh, from pills and everything else that we attempted. Um, and I, I was just over it emotionally, physically. I was so tired of it. Um, lingering, I ended up going with the, the surgical removal and really glad I did. It was, it, I wasn't ready to handle, um, the physical birth and I didn't realize that then, but anyway, so did that and a few months later we found out we were pregnant again Uh, right before Christmas it was pretty fun my family was coming in town I was so excited and of course there were those fears too that that were okay will this pregnancy be successful we ended up telling everyone about it and it was so fun it was so fun actually we went to Florida for Christmas to visit my grandparents and my group my Mimi had rented this massive mansion on the beach and um (laughs) it was very important that there was only 29 people in the mansion like you could get really in trouble if there was more than that or something so I show up and I said Mimi I hope it's okay and I knew it was a big deal I said Mimi I I hope it's okay that I brought an extra person with me and she her eyes just got so big because she thought I brought like a friend or someone (laughs) and she was like what are you talking about 
uh, no, no, there can only be 29. And I was like, I know Mimi, but, and then I said, you know, but they're in my stomach, like the other person's in my stomach. So, and she just started screaming. I come from the longest line of reactors ever. And it was so great. Oh, it was so fun. So had this beautiful pregnancy, had the morning sickness, probably the worst of all of them, honestly, um, and bir- gave birth to this beautiful, beautiful baby boy, Moses Jordan, um, on August 19th of 2014. And he changed my life that day. I fell in love with this precious little thing. I was so ignorant though. Like I was very prepared for a lot of the questions. Like at the hospital, I was prepared with my answers, but I did not understand infancy. And I actually (laughs) brought, you guys, please don't laugh at me too hard. I brought a rattler to the hospital like a legit rattler like um to for a child to play with and um that was pretty hysterical actually I think it's great I thought that my baby was gonna play with a rattler but no they don't for like several months so I kind of hid that back in the bag when I realized where we were at to this day Eli and I laugh so hard thinking about me packing that little blue rattler thinking he's gonna come out like ready to shake it like what had him and um, started off on my journey. Uh, that same time is when I fell in love with the Young Living business and that motherhood with the business. Oh my gosh, I had just like this this fire about me in that phase. That was I was and it was the beginning of the unstoppable version of me. Had so much fun learning that side of me, diving into something, um, making some money, bringing in an income, diving. Just it was so fun. Moses turned one and I got pregnant again and I miscarried that pregnancy at around five weeks and then I got pregnant again uh, with this uh, another sweet life and um, that one I did miscarry around eight weeks Um, and that one was really really hard for me because I went through the physical birth as well after I found out that there was no heartbeat um, I also, I also ended up, um, delivering that baby and that was extremely challenging. Um, we were in the middle of a family transition. So we had moved into a little tiny house. We had purchased our first little house and, um, we decided we were going to buy the house that we're actually currently in, but there was a, um, a time in between there that we lived with my in-laws. So we downsized everything that we had and we were going to move into my in-laws basement while Eli fixed up this house. So I had just experienced the miscarriage in my own home. And about a month later, we were living with my in-laws in their basement. And honestly, thank God we did because we needed someone to have Moses during this time. We just didn't know. Um, in the middle of the night, I woke up and I'm going to, I'm going to be pretty, um, straightforward with you here. So if this is, you know, past trauma for you or anything, or you're having, you know, little ones listening, just, you know, go in the other room. But I started bleeding in the middle of the night, really, really heavy. I knew something wasn't right. And this was after I had miscarried. So I wasn't sure what was going on. Um, immediately knew I need to get to the hospital. So Eli, um, ran upstairs, told his parents we needed to go to the hospital if they could have Moses, um, with them. And we went to the hospital and I was hemorrhaging and just literally, I think almost, I almost lost my life that night. They, 
I'm so thankful for emergency medicine because they immediately got me hooked up with some morphine, which helped significantly. And I ended up, um, my body just kind of wouldn't stop thinking that I was pregnant. So created a tissue the size of a football. So basically a massive piece of tissue that was not passing. And it was terrifying. I passed out, um, and they said, this is actually kind of funny. They said, oh, she's vagaling, which the vagal nerve is something that regulates, I guess, like, I don't know, blood flow or something. So when you vagal, it is a uh, where you pass out from your body trying to sustain your blood flow or something. Well, I remembered it as I was passing out and I wanted to know what it meant. And I thought vagal kind of sounds like bagel. So I'm like, I'm just going to remember bagel, like a pastry, a circular pastry, and I'm going to Google it. So when I woke up from being passed out, I remembered circular pastry. And so I Googled donut but vonut. So I remembered the V. So vonut. What does vonutting mean? What is vonutting? I couldn't find anything until then I learned, oh, vagal is a bagel, not a donut. <laughs> um, my mom came and stayed with us for a week during that time. And that was really, really challenging, but I was grateful to have that be over. Um, a few months, a few months later, we got pregnant with our sweet little girl, Lennon. Um, at that point, we were able to move into our, our beautiful home in, uh, our home that we're in now. So that was really fun. We got in right before Christmas. Of course, that was a huge goal and started our, our pregnancy with Lennon and Lennon was born um, July 14th. Of course, I was still all in right now with my Young Living business um, growing, 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 growing every month, every day, every week, all about it. Um, my, I had this huge goal of hitting diamond. So I had Lennon and here we are, me, Lennon, Moses, Eli's still working full-time at the gym at this point. I was at the rank of platinum, which is a young living term. And that's where you're making about, like, according to the income, like seventeen, fifteen to seventeen thousand dollars a month. So starting to get, you know, pretty significant. Definitely for us, significant. Definitely more than I ever expected to make. Um, you know, having no college degree and working from home with a baby, uh, Moses, and two babies who were both under two. I will add. Um, so spent the next eight months, uh, doing infancy with her, doing the business, doing like, can I sustain my life? Can I get outside and, and still be a, you know, a, a person outside of being a mom? That was really a fun time for me to, um, just learn a lot about managing my time and emotions and doing it. Um, so a, when Lennon was about eight months old, I hit the rank of diamond, which was my huge goal. And Eli decided that he was going to retire, which came as a total, total shock for me because he loved what he did. And so I never even mentioned it. Like I never even thought that it would be a thing. And so when he, <laughs> one day, we, I mean, we had talked about it a little bit because it was getting to that point where financially it wasn't making sense that he was leaving all day and then I was still having the kids and working all the time. But um, I, he loved what he did and that was important to me that he do that. So one day I was like, hey, if you ever decide to retire, like just let me know. I'm curious what you're thinking. Um, and he walked out like he, he was going to work and he didn't answer me. And I thought, well, that's weird. He didn't answer me. He, we don't have a relationship where he like stomps out or anything. And he was definitely, we were, I mean, we were both not, nobody was upset with each other in, in any way. So it was confusing. He came home that afternoon and he said, Hey, um, 
by the way, I put in my sixth, six month notice. I'm like, what? What's a six month notice? I know of a two week notice, but I don't know about a six month notice. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be done at Christmas. So this was around June or July. And I was like, what? You're going to be done? And he said, yeah, I just have peace about it. I want to be with the kids more. You want to work on your business more. We don't want a nanny. Um, I want to do it. And so I was shocked. I couldn't believe that. I, I really couldn't. I was really shocked. And so it was also during that time, um, halfway through his six-month notice <laughs> in October, um, that I had created this thing called the Diamond Workbook, which went way more seriously than I thought. Um, we were selling a ton of them, and I just was really having trouble managing it all. So I called my dad, asked him how much money he was making at the current job he was at. I offered to pay him more, and within like three days, my parents were pulling in in their RV to our driveway to permanently live, um, or not permanently in the driveway, but Kansas City. And my dreams came true that day because I wanted my kids to know their grandparents, and until that point, it had not been possible. They would see each other maybe once a quarter maybe once every six months. And so when they pulled in the driveway, oh, I'll never forget. I had tears crying. I was so excited. And my dad and I have always worked together really well. We are very compatible in our, our gifts and what we do and how we do it. So we get each other and it works out really well. So that was when that started. So my dad is now like my assistant and my mom uh, was like coming into health. She was uh, getting treatment for her Lyme disease and Hashimoto's. And, you know, in high school, she was really sick. So to see her getting well was amazing. And yeah, a lot of things came together. Um, at that point, we had two months together um, before Eli actually officially was retired. And some crazy things happened at that point in time. And looking back, it's kind of serendipitous. So the day after Eli retired, um, he started experiencing chest pain, which at first he thought was pneumonia or like, I guess it's called costochondritis. I'm not even very good at pronouncing that, but went to our natural um, protocols and he was, you know, hitting it hard and nothing was seeming to really work. Ended up going to the, you know, urgent care, getting like antibiotics that didn't work, steroids that didn't work what in the world we could not figure out what it was what was going on ended up in the emergency room with a pericarditis um, diagnosis which is a infection around the lining of your heart which if it um, effuses or bursts can be fatal uh three nights later he woke me up in the middle of the night and said we need to go back to the emergency room something's not right my dad and I carried Eli who had passed out in, um, into the snow into the car shoved him in and I was on on the phone with the um, emergency you know 911 saying my husband has pericarditis he's passed out he's not conscious um, should I go to the hospital or should you come here and they said you need to get to the hospital come it was a snowy night I drove as fast as I could to be safe um I was not safe, but I was trying to be 90 miles an hour through the uh, just windy roads of Kansas City, probably the stupidest thing ever. Made it to the emergency room and oh, that was terrifying. I thought I thought Eli had died, honestly, in the car. Um, 
But that was a good, good, good season for us because he was fresh out of his purpose, fresh out of his passion and entering into a new season of being a stay-at-home dad. And he had some, you know, emotional stuff that he was working through regarding that. And, oh gosh, it'd be so fun to have him on here sometime and talk about that. But it was really a special time for us to learn how to navigate the storms of life in that way together. He hadn't always been just this this strong husband, shoulder to lie on, you know, the things that media portrays as a man and all of that was taken from him during that time where he was not strong and he was not a shoulder to lean on. And that was really important for both of us to recognize his value outside of those things. So that lasted for about three months. And it was really during that time where I recognized the beauty of what I had built with the business and and the beauty of the residual income where when I was sitting in the hospital, not doing any work, I was still getting paid. And I realized that there were people in the world, in my life, in the team that will have these seasons. And if I don't paint this picture for them and show them clearly what is going to happen inevitably, um, then, you know, they could potentially not have that, that reliance that I had. And so that was really cool. Um, we found out though that I was pregnant once again. And, um, wow, wow. That was awesome. Mac was born in October of 2006. I'm sorry, 2018. So we had 2014, 2016, 2018 babies. And Mac's birth was a home birth, 10 pounds, four ounces, massive, massive baby. First home birth I'd ever had. Just a great, beautiful time. Um, Had one of the most epic postpartum experiences with him. Was just so happy and connected to him. And um, yeah, it was really special, really a special time, just savoring that. And the, the last year and a half, now he's a year and a half old has been and I'm sure I'll have clarity more on the last year and a half all of this makes sense when I'm older (laughs) I feel like Olaf in some ways um it's been simple and it's been special and it's been a lot of just daily life um with the kids in school and you know cooking dinner and uh getting the floor clean and attempting you know doing laundry a lot of that kind of stuff and actually um and I I have announced this already but I am pregnant again (laughs) with a baby due in the fall in the late fall of this year so here we have a 2014 2016 2018 and then we will have a 2020 and currently when I'm recording this, we are in an insane time in our world where the quarantines of COVID-19 has struck <laughs> and the world is falling apart. It feels like in some ways, and it's also coming together in so many ways. I'm starting a garden. I am raising chickens. We bought four chickens, chicks, and, um, I'm just learning so much about what it looks like to live life in a big way. So here, there you go. There's my life, Bethany Joy Shipley from zero to 27 today. And um, yeah, thank you for being a part of my story. I know that you 
don't have to know me and you don't have to care and you don't have to be listening right now, but you are. And I just hope that I can be by living in my authentic self and living in my purpose, I can inspire you. Um, My hope is that I can inspire you to do the same whatever that looks like for you and I'm I'm your cheerleader even if I don't know you I'm your cheerleader in my energy and in my life and um, and I just hope that you feel for me that I care about you and your life and I hope that you um, I hope that you feel blessed and encouraged by anything that I do so thank you for listening stay tuned for more episodes on the Bethany Shipley show Mwah.